0: Well, good afternoon, everybody. A little sleepy this afternoon. I see how it is. Listen, it's great to be together. Uh, welcome back to the launch of uh, this ministry season for us. And got to, I want to say one or two things off the bat. One, community church, I love you. I love you. I love you. And greater than even my sentiment uh, from a shepherd uh, to you is actually, I need you to know this, that you are loved by the true and living God. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care about what is the worst thing about you that causes you to hang your head in shame. You are loved by the living God. And you just need to hear that today. And I know that's simple. I hope it's not cliche for you. I hope it's real for you. But uh, before we get into anything else this ministry season, you just need to know that you are loved by Jesus Christ. Um every, every ounce of you, every inch of you, uh, he loves you to pieces. Uh, if you are here for the first time, uh, we're really, really thrilled that you're here today. And there's a whole gang of people who actually been praying for you in particular. Uh, that, you know, that you would just encounter God as someone that's real in your life. As we worship together, that you would experience his presence. That in this moment right now, as we open up this precious book, that God would actually speak into your life and challenge you and change you and transform you. So... Buckle your seatbelts, because that's what you're going to get right now, whether you like it or not. Uh, we're going to get the Word of God being preached. Um, you are here at a great time, if you are here for the very first time, in that right now we're launching our brand new series for four weeks. It's called True-ish. And the, and the idea behind this is, I think, for so many of us, we are actually being quite bombarded by um, people's opinions. And this seems to be becoming a stronger and stronger piece, where what people are saying is... This is truth. And someone else says, no, 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 no. This is truth. And then you get another angle, well this is truth. And then you get this message. What is required of you is to embrace all of that and to affirm every single one of them. And when we do that, we end up living in all kinds of shades of gray and confusion in our life. And I don't think Jesus Christ said that. And I certainly don't think the word of God does that. And so Right now, and over the course of the next few weeks, I want to ask you to come back for every single week. Like right now, we're going to be examining the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Next week, we're going to be asking a question that every single person here has asked. What is my purpose? And the last thing you want to be with a question like that is to be lost in multiple shades of gray. No, God, I actually need to hear from you. Sometimes I think we get frustrated with God. Ever had this, God, just, why don't you just open up the heavens and say to me, this is what thou shalt do. And then you, I'd say, then I'd do it. How do you navigate that? We're going to look at the Word of God and its authority, and how do we lean into that, and also, what is the message of the gospel, and what does that speak into our lives today? So today, we're going to be looking at the person of Jesus Christ. I would suggest to you today that our culture has uh, swallowed two very specific lies. Number one, today, if you disagree with somebody, or their choice, or their opinion, or their life, if you disagree with them, that means you hate that person, or you fear that person. Now, I don't think that's true. I think it's possible to disagree with somebody, but you don't hate them. It's possible to disagree with somebody, but you don't, you're not afraid of them. And this culture would have you believe that there's that nothing more than fear and hatred. The second piece, the second lie would be this. To truly love another person What is required of you is that you must agree with everything that they believe and what they say and what they do. I actually don't even believe that that is an accurate definition of what love truly is in a person's life. So let's look at some critical claims over your life. Today we're going to examine, according to Time Magazine, the single most influential person in the history of mankind. We're going to look at what he claimed to be true but it's not just the subject of truth in an abstract manner. This person actually said this. He said, I am the very embodiment of truth. And not many people go that far, but he did. Jesus of Nazareth. We are going to deal with his life, his claims, his death, his resurrection, and his return someday. Um. For just a moment, I want you to take a look at the side screens and listen to two very familiar accents of mine.
1: So, what or who was Jesus, as far as you're concerned? I think it's, the, it's a defining question for a Christian, is who was Christ? And, and I don't think you're let off easily by saying a great thinker or a great philosopher or, a, you know, because actually he went round saying, he was the Messiah. That's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said he was the Son of God. So he either, in my view, was the Son of God, or he was not. No, no, nuts. Nuts, Forget rock and roll messianic complexes. This is like, I mean, Charlie Manson type delirium. And I find it hard to accept that... All the millions and millions of lives, half the earth for 2,000 years have been touched, have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I just, I don't believe it. I, so I therefore it follows that you believe he was divine. Yes. And therefore it follows that you believe that he rose physically from the dead. Yes. Yeah. I'm into, uh, I mean, no problem with miracles living around them. I am one. So, so when you pray then, you pray to Jesus? Yes. The risen Jesus? Yes. And you believe that he made promises which will come true? Yes. I do.
0: Ah, isn't it nice to hear those lovely accents? <laughs> get used to it, because when you get to heaven, that's the way everybody talks. <laughs> it's just normal. That's the way God talks. Bono is actually borrowing a thought from somebody else. He's borrowing a thought from an author by the name of C.S. Lewis, who kind of gave us three options. He said, Jesus is either a liar, he's lying through his teeth, or he is a madman, he's a lunatic. That's what he said, delirium. Or, he's actually telling the truth. And we have to make up our minds around that. If you go through the entirety of your life, and you never honestly ask and answer this question about what is stated to be perhaps the most influential person in mankind, who is this man? I think you're sticking your head in the sand. Whether you consider yourself a saint or a sinner, at a minimum, the question is worth looking at. Now, I guarantee you, if we grabbed a little video camera and we went down to campus, or we went down Mission Street, or we went down Broadway, and we asked that question, I guarantee you, and here's where the multiple shades of gray kick in, and the confusion, and the mixed messages, you ask that same question, Can I ask you, who do you think Jesus Christ is? Here's what you're going to get. Well, I think Jesus was just a really good person. Well, no, 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 no. I think Jesus was a prophet. No, I think he was a miracle worker. I think he was a great philosopher. I think he's just a person who lived and died. There's nothing special there at all. He lived and he was a carpenter, and that's the full extent of it. Another person might say, I think he was the son of the living God, And another person would say, I don't even believe he existed at all. How do you wrap your arms around all of that? Some people simply don't know. The funny thing for me is, I don't think I've ever had a conversation with anybody about Jesus Christ where you're looking at this historical figure and that they would actually demonize him. People will do it about just about anyone else in history. Even people who have done wonderful things and great things. They'll say, well, that was great, but you know, I, don't, I didn't like this part of his life. I didn't like how he treated these kinds of people. I didn't like that speech he gave or she gave. But I've never been in a conversation with somebody where anyone has looked at the record of the life of Jesus Christ, what he did and what he said, and someone walks away from that saying, well, he was just a nasty guy. I've never heard that in all my life. It's a vital question. And Jesus comes from heaven to earth. And believe it or not, he actually poses the same question himself. These are his words. Who do people say that I am? I think God really cares about how you ask and answer that question. So today, here's what I want to do I want to present to you two angles on the person called Jesus Christ. And I will give you my presupposition here today. Without apology, here at Mount Pleasant Community Church, please hear this. We believe with great resolve that Jesus was so much more than a nice guy or a philosopher or a prophet or even a doer of great works. We believe that he was actually the son of the living God, the Messiah, the second person of the Trinity, the creator of the world and the savior of our souls. We believe that he really did come from heaven to earth and he fulfilled every single Old Testament prophecy. We believe that he was born of a virgin, which is very difficult to do. We believe that he healed the sick. We believe that he gave up his life, that he died on a cross, that he rose from the dead, that he ascended into heaven, that today he sits at the right hand of the Father, and one day he's coming back again and he will be riding on the clouds. This is Jesus of Nazareth. Two angles is simply this. Number one, he is exclusive. Our culture hates that. Number two, he is sufficient. Now, it's a little bit of a mouthful of a statement, so let me break it down. I would suggest to you today that truth, by definition, is exclusive. If you're going to make an assertion, then the opposite of your assertion cannot be true. Does that make sense? This is just fundamental logic here. If you're going to say an assertion, the very opposite of that cannot also be true. So let's say we have someone in here who's going to say, well, the lions... The Lions are the best team in American football. (laughs) you are either a raving optimist or someone who enjoys a lot of disappointment in life. But listen, let's say that was your assertion. You cannot then say, well, the Lions are the number one team and also this team and this team and this team, they're also the number one team. You can't say that. If you're going to state that as to be truth for you, then what you're saying along with that is that every single other team are subservient to the lines. They are less than and they're not as good as. If someone were to come up to you today and say, hey, could you give me directions after church today? I would like to drive from here. I'm heading over to Lansing. No problem. You're going to hop on 127 and you're going to go what direction? South. South. You cannot at the same time say to them, well, if you like, you know, you could go 127 north as well. You just can't do it. You can't do well, Or they're going to have a really, really long trip uh, if they want to go all the way around the globe. You just can't do it. There's only one way to Lansing, Michigan. And you've got to go south if you want to get there. It's a vital, vital question. Our culture hates that. They would rather embrace... I think, another idea entirely, which is simply known as syncretism. A little bit of this, a little bit of what you believe, a little bit of what they believe. We'll mix it all together, a little bit of salt and pepper, and that'll that'll be fine. You don't have to ask any questions about that. We can just swallow all of that. It's this idea that, you know, there are many different paths, many paths, but they all lead to the same destination. Have you ever heard that? I've heard that so many times around spirituality. There are many paths. You go down that path. I'll go down this path. We'll all eventually get to the same destination. I just dare you to try that in real life. I dare you to take your kids and your spouse to any park in Mount Pleasant today and say, son, you head down that way. Daughter, you head down that way. Wife, you head down that way. And I'm going to go this way. And I'm sure we'll all meet in the same place. Logically, it doesn't make any sense. You just cannot do that. So why don't you worship the Hindu god of Vishnu? And why don't you guys over here, why don't you worship Allah? And why don't we get a bunch of people over here and you can just really work hard on being really good people. And we we'll get a bunch of people over here. In fact, I'm gonna do this one. I'm gonna get as many sacred texts as I can and I'll memorize them and I'll study them and I'll meditate on them. And we we'll get another gang of people over here and you guys can, can work on your, your kind of energy auras and find some answers within you. And you know what we can do? We can just bring all of that together, and here's the phrase it's all good. It's all good. There's no problem with that. We'll all end up in the same place. We'll all get to that eventual destination. Mark chapter 14. There's a high priest speaking to Jesus. Here's the same question we're asking Are you the Christ? Are you the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus answers him He says, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments. He is ticked off. Appalling blasphemy. I am that he would dare speak those words. There's another fellow with a lot of authority by the name of Pilate. John 18, he says the same question. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered. And I love this answer. It's so cheeky. Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Are you the king of the Jews, Pilate asks. Jesus basically comes back to him and says, did you come up with that idea all by yourself, did you? (laughs) You're right, he says, to say that I'm a king. In fact, that is the very reason for which I was born. And then Jesus says something incredible, something that might even come across as obnoxious or as C.S. Lewis or Bono would say, like this guy, is he's just nuts, he's crazy. Jesus, it's certainly an exclusive statement. He says this, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Oh my goodness. How many people get to say that? Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And Pilate asks him the question, what's truth? What is truth? Another man with authority, Luke 18, a ruler comes up and he asks Jesus a question. Do you notice what Jesus does with a lot of these questions? People ask him a question. He doesn't answer their question. It must have been extremely annoying to people. Do you know what he does back? He asks them a question back. And it's genius. I wish I could do this. I'm, I'm just not this smart. He's just genius what he does. He asks them a question, and his question back to them exposes something in their initial question that is so flawed. He says, ruler, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we may not know this, but the attribute of goodness in the Old Testament was singularly given to who? God. You would never refer to yourself and say, I am good, because people would say, well, I'm actually not a good person. The only one who is truly good is God, and yet he calls him good teacher in this question. So Jesus doesn't answer his question, and he flies back a question in his face. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Are you calling me God? It's the same question. Another guy, another, a, lot, a lot of authority, a lot of spiritual authority, this is John chapter 3, a fellow called Nicodemus. And he's confused. And I'll grant Nicodemus this. It might, was probably hard to grasp the phrase that Jesus was introducing to him, the phrase born again. And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? He's old. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, that doesn't make sense, Jesus. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, here's his question, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him (laughs) with no answer. He asked him a question. Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? How can a man enter his mother's womb? That doesn't make sense, Jesus. How can you say that you have spiritual authority and knowledge of the Scripture, and you don't even understand this? Are you the king of the Jews? Really, did you come up with that question by yourself? Or did somebody help you with that? Why am I bringing all of these questions? Because I want to ask you the question. Are you ready for truth? What is the question that you are asking? Because over the course of today and the next four weeks, we're going to be bringing this to the table. Do you want to hear truth? And will you examine it and scrutinize it and lean into it and say, is this something that I could wrap my arms around or not? Is there falsehood in this or is there truth in this? Can I truly lean into this? It's important. What Jesus was encountering with these people who kept asking him these questions. So you see, to give somebody truth who doesn't love truth and doesn't really want truth is only to compound and multiply their reasons for misinterpretation. So Jesus was going right back at them. Do you really want to know the answer? The high priest wants to rip his clothes. He doesn't want to listen. Pilate's washing his hands. I'm done with this. And he says to him, those who are on the side of truth will actually listen to me. In other words, you're not listening to me. The challenge, this challenge goes out to every one of you today. Do you and will you recognize truth? An ability to actually understand the plausibility of the answer to the question, this is what it's going to demand of you today and for the next four weeks, is honesty and integrity and an open mind on your part. The high priest walks away. Pilate walks away. The young ruler walks away. Then you bump into this other scripture, John chapter four, and we see this woman. And she gets into an amazing spiritual conversation with Jesus and uh at the end, she says to him, well, you know, when the Messiah comes, he'll explain these things to us. This, this is a lot. And he, he looks at her. he says, the one that you're talking to right now, I'm he. And her eyes are opened. She can't believe it. She takes off running back to her hometown. Come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Look at this, could this be truth? That's what she says. Could this be the truth? Could this be the Messiah? A high priest who could not recognize him. A Roman ruler who would not recognize him. A politician who couldn't see what was standing right in front of him. A rich young ruler who was unable to do the same thing. And yet we have a broken woman who thought, there's a possibility that I have just discovered the greatest truth in human history. She had an open mind. Would you consider today your own resolve? Will you listen to truth? Will you consider the person of Jesus Christ? Scottish theologian by the name of James Stewart, he pens these words that underscore the contrast of this man's life and his claims of truth. I want you to catch a picture of this Jesus of Nazareth. He says, he was the meekest and lowliest of all the sons of men, yet he spoke of coming on the clouds of heaven with the glory of God. He was so austere that evil spirits and demons cried out in terror at his coming, yet he was so genial and winsome and approachable that the little loved ones loved to play with him and nestle in his embrace. His presence at the innocent gaiety of a wedding was like the presence of sunshine. No one was half so kind or compassionate to sinners, yet no one spoke with such red, hot, scorching words about sin. A bruised reed he would not break. His own life was love Yet on one occasion, he demanded of the Pharisees how they were expected to escape the damnation of hell. He was a dreamer of dreams and a seer of visions, yet for sheer stark realism, he has all our self-styled realists soundly beaten. He was a servant of all, washing the disciples' feet, yet masterfully he strode into the temple and the hucksters and the money changers fell over one another in their rush to get away for the fire they saw blazing in his eyes. In the end he saved others, but at last he would not save himself. There is nothing in history like the union of contrasts that confront us in the gospel. The mystery of Jesus is the mystery of divine personality. Jesus is Jesus is exclusive. Here's where the question always rises. It is the question of comparison. Every skeptic asks it, and every atheist certainly asks this question. Okay, so you believe in your God. Why that one? Of all the imagined, pretend, made up little gods, and there are thousands of them, why Jesus Christ? Why not worship Zeus? Why not worship Allah? And the answer to that question is that, quite simply, each of us have to make up our own minds based on the evidence. Why Jesus and not someone else? Christianity, I'm so glad of this, is not merely philosophy. It actually talks about a relationship with God and being close to God in your life. At its heart, it simply states this, that God is the one who has initiated and moved towards humankind so that he can be close to them. Jesus does not compete with any other religion, For this very simple reason that he offers me something that no other religion offers. It's worth trying to get your mind around this. You will discover, and I've studied every religion that there is. I'm not an expert on them, but I've studied every single one. You will discover roughly that just about every religion teaches somewhat the same in terms of sort of basic morality. And I think just about every one of them has some version of the golden rule. Where they differ is on the basis whereby a person can have real peace and relationship with God. Most religions will simply say to you this, you need to read this sacred book. Read it, read it, read it, read it, read it. You need to obey these rules. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Behave yourself, behave yourself. You need to learn a mantra or a set of principles and you must adhere to them in your life. And if somehow you can do that, what you need to do is you need to get a savings account. And here's the key word, guys. You need to pile up yourself a savings account of merit. You have to get merit. You've got to get a great big pile of it. So that one day you can stand in front of God and say, look at all of my merit. And if you can do that, then maybe God will say, now I will accept you. Jesus of Nazareth, as far as I know, is utterly unique and exclusive here. He says, no, it is not on the basis of merit. We don't even do this with human beings. There's my wonderful wife, Kelly. Hi. What if I had walked up to Kelly 20 plus years ago and say, Hubba hubba. (laughs) Kind of like you. So, I have a proposition for you. How's about this? Why don't you, for the next several decades, cook my meals, do my laundry, make sure my house is clean, raise my children, cut the grass. You see where this is going? I want you to do all these things. Make sure they're done perfectly. And you know, in about maybe 40 years from now, maybe, you know, I I would consider marrying you. What a romantic proposition, right? We laugh. But that's how we think about God. God, I'm going to do all this stuff for you. I'll darn your socks, and I'll do the laundry, and I'll cook the meals, I'll raise your kids, I'll do everything. I'll read the Bible, and I'll say my prayers, I'll go to church, I'll give to the poor, and I'll make it out so that one day you will finally be impressed with everything that I've, been, I've done for you, and then you can accept me, right? We don't even do that with human beings. One of the reasons I'm a Christian is because this rings utterly true for me. It is an analysis of my situation that I have simply fallen short of the standard of God and that I cannot earn merit. Actually, I need another transformation in my life and uniquely in the person of Jesus Christ, I find that Christ on the cross through his death and resurrection has done something for me that I could never do for myself. And that is the basis of God accepting Alan Cullen. Not because I've earned it, because I can't earn it. And now we serve him. And I don't serve him out of duty. I serve him because I love him. That would be my honor. The second piece is his sufficiency. Jesus is sufficient. Begs the question, sufficient for what? And I would say to you today, he's sufficient for reality. The world we actually live in. I'm so glad that Christianity Christianity is not some highfalutin, Sort of philosophical pie in the sky talk that actually doesn't affect my real life. Jesus Christ is sufficient for my real life, your real life. I'm talking about the normal grind of normal life today and tomorrow and this upcoming week. The stuff that we actually faced. Jesus Christ's grip on reality is unmatched. Jesus shows us two sides of a coin. The first side of the coin is filthy and it is disgusting. And the second side of that coin is mint. It is spotless and pure. Here's what Jesus reveals. Firstly, this is what you and I know to be true it is the reality of sin. Romans chapter 1, listen to this. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies at one another, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Verse twenty eight. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Is there any more graphic portrayal of your heart and mine? You are described in there. I am described in there. And it's amazing to me, is the guy who wrote these words, the fellow by the name of Paul before his encounter with the Jesus of Nazareth that we're talking about, he actually used to brag about his education and say, I'm so smart. Do you know what kind of academia that I've had invested into my life? Do you know whose feet I have sat and learned underneath? I know all about the law. I know everything there is to know about God. And then he went further. He starts bragging about what a polished little life that he lived and how perfect he was and how he obeyed every single rule. Then he encounters Jesus Christ the sufficient one who has a a grip on reality, he writes these words in the New Testament, and then he says this regarding those who are sinners. He says, I consider myself chief amongst every one of them. This is what Jesus Christ will do in your life. His description of the human condition conforms to reality as we know it. He tells us again and again that the heart of every man and every woman is desperately wicked. Compared to every other world religion, nowhere else is the doctrine of sin more clearly uh, spelled out than in the Christian faith. And while other Religions will say, you can do it. You can get there. You you can earn it. You can relive again. You can try better. You can fix it. You can do better. You can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Jesus says, no, you can't. You simply cannot do that. You will never get there. The world that we live in today would love to omit the word sin. When's the last time you had a conversation with someone, not a Christian person, that sin entered the conversation or someone actually mentioned that word? without a personal conviction of sin. And the reality of that, we are eradicating the reality that we live in today of evil in this world and sin in this world. And we lose ourselves and we end up in all kinds of shades of gray. We lose a grip on our true nature and our depraved identity. Let me show you the other side of the coin and I'll wrap up with this. No other deity in any other religion comes close to the purity of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself literally asks the question, who among you accuses me of sin? Do you know how many people answer that question? Zero. Nobody could say a word. Pilate is washing his hands. I can find no fault in this man. Those being crucified alongside him. We deserve to be here, but he's done nothing amiss. And so he takes upon himself The form of a servant. The description for him, such a rich reference to the Old Testament. He is described as the spotless lamb of God. This is the purity. He is the sufficient sacrifice. The end of all times. Revelation chapter five. We find the author weeping. Who's worthy to open the scroll? Who can do this? Surely somebody could open the scroll. He's weeping. There's nobody pure enough. There's nobody holy. There's nobody innocent. There's nobody sufficient to open up the scroll and he's weeping and he's weeping and this angel comes onto the scene and he says, no, stop crying. There's one. And he begins to describe this picture. It's like this lion sitting on a throne and then he changes the description and he, brings, he starts to describe this perfect spotless lamb and he brings the two descriptions together, the lion in his power and the lamb in his humility and his purity. He's worthy. Jesus Christ is exclusive. Jesus Christ is sufficient. Worship team, come on up. I want to finish with one quote from one gentleman, an Englishman from years ago. He has lived and he has died. His name is Malcolm Muggridge. He is a man who lived a completely self centered, sensual, and indulgent life. He said of himself, I took such joy in being a peddler of words. These are his words. They are merely a summary of life. They are one man's observation of the life that was given to him. In the latter years of his life as an older man, he encountered this person that we're speaking about, this man, Jesus of Nazareth. And this is what his summary of life simply states. We look back upon human history and what do we see? Empires rising and falling, revolutions and counter-revolutions, wealth accumulated and wealth dispersed. Shakespeare spoke of the rise and fall of great ones that ebb and fall with the moon. I look back on my own fellow countrymen in England. Once upon a time, dominating a quarter of the world, most of them still convinced that the words of a popular song, the God who made them mighty shall make them mightier still. I've heard a crazed, cracked austrian announced to the world the establishment of a reich that would last a thousand years i've seen an italian clown saying that he was going to start and stop the calendar with his own ascension to power i've seen american wealthier in terms of military weaponry more powerful than the rest of the world put together so that had the american people so desired they could have outdone a caesar or an alexander in terms of range or scale of conquest All in one lifetime. All in one lifetime. All gone. They're gone in the wind. England, part of a tiny island on the coast of Europe, on the brink of dismemberment and bankruptcy. Hitler and Mussolini, dead, remembered only in infamy. Stalin, a forbidden name in the regime he dominated for a decade. America, haunted by fears of running out of those precious fluids that keep their motorways roaring and their smog settling with disastrous memories of a disastrous campaign in Vietnam as the media charged the windmills of Watergate. All in one lifetime, all in one lifetime, they're all gone behind the debris of the solemn supermen and the self-styled imperialists. There stands the gigantic figure of one person by whom and through whom and in whom mankind alone can be given peace and be saved. And his name is Jesus Christ. This is the Lord I present to you this morning. May you know him. May you call upon his name. And may he set you free. Church, let's stand and let's worship.